can't get enough of the podcast? Lucky for you, our video IQ platform on adorebeauty.com.au houses thousands of articles on skincare, makeup, hair care, and more. Plus, you can find a heap of video tutorials, ingredient spotlights, and brand breakdowns on our YouTube channel. Just click on Beauty IQ in the menu bar of the website or app or search Adore Beauty on YouTube for more beauty content. Welcome everybody to Beauty IQ, the podcast. I'm your host, Joanna Fleming. And I am your co-host, Hannah First. Um, I'm going rogue for the intro today, Jo. Um, okay. I've decided I'm gonna... She goes, I've got something kooky. <laughs> I, we, we're not kooky enough. Um, I just want to, yeah, let my All freak right. flag fly. <laughs> so you had an eventful time in the Gold Coast and you I actually did. messaged me saying that you you think you're henna. I was embracing Coast. my inner henna, yeah. Yes. So I actually decided we need to choose a name for you. Okay. Who's, oh. your, who's your henna? Okay. I've chosen it. I've already oh, chosen oh, you it. Have. Don't oh, worry. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Yeah. No. All right. So it's actually um, going to be based on my favourite Dolly Parton song. I don't know if you oh, know. Jolene. Yes. 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 So. <laughs> like you're not a man stealer, but um, <laughs> there's a line in the lyrics that I think really relates. So it's your beauty is beyond compare with flaming locks of auburn hair, with ivory skin and eyes of emerald green. Your smile is like a breath of spring. Your voice is soft like summer rain. And I cannot compete with you, Jolly. <laughs> Do you know what we're going to do? I'm going to, anytime we go out or any, I'm going to request that they play Joel. It's our song. This Why is you, our song. Call me Jolene when we're out. <laughs> yeah, Jolene. I have to say, I have to say yes. though, so many of our listeners are on the Gold Coast. Like I had I probably 10 girls come up and say hello, which is so oh. nice. It's so nice to meet people because they know so much about us and we know nothing about them. So it's kind of a weird experience, but I want to thank those people for coming up to say hello because it's so nice to meet them. And it was like a concentration of Beauty IQ listeners on the Gold Coast. I've never, never met that many listeners in a weekend. At Burley Pavilion. <laughs> yeah. Just, that totally makes sense because that, that place is a pickup joint. Yeah. And I swear our listeners really only listen to the dating content. So <laughs> <They do. laughs> if you're looking, if you're looking to, you know, pick up. I think they were watching me like hawks. <laughs> now I did want us to redo our intro. Yeah. And I wanted Matthew to work his magic and I want to do like like maybe like a bit of Jolene music and then Mm. as we end like I'm your co-host Henna yeah or actually why don't I say I'm your host Henna and you say and I'm your co-host Jolene and then we'll go okay (laughs) Okay. (laughs) all right right. welcome to PDIQ (laughs) the podcast I'm your host Henna and I'm your co-host Jolene great (laughs) All right, so what is on this week's episode, Jolene? On today's episode, I can't take this seriously. Um, We actually had a lot of requests to do um, stuff around bras. So we're going to have a bra fitting at She Science. Woohoo! So we'll tell you all about that in our cringy convo. And then we're interviewing Alicia Yoon about K-beauty. So if you're interested in Korean beauty, have a listen to that. And, of course, our product, we didn't know we needed So we're here at She Science in Camberwell with Tish and she's about to do bra fittings for Hannah and I. And we wanted to ask her a few questions around bra fittings because a lot of questions came through about this. So Tish, can you tell us why it's important to find the right size bra? Okay, so what most people don't really realise is that if a bra doesn't fit perfectly, it actually has no chance of functioning. A lot of people think it's, say, the underwire or the straps, you know, 
that are built into the bra to offer us that support, but it actually is all pinned on the way that that bra is fitting you. So if it doesn't fit well, it can't possibly support the breast tissue. And should we be having multiple bra fittings in our lives? Because I think the last one I had, I was probably maybe 15. I didn't really have boobs till I was like 16. So in fairness, it was pretty late. I think that's a pretty common story, to be honest. We see women in their 30s and 40s that say, I haven't been here since I was in high school. But our size and our shape changes with weight gain, weight loss, menopause, pregnancy, breastfeeding, you know, all those things will affect our breast size. So even three kilos in a weight loss or weight gain can completely change our breast size. I I mean, I should have come over lockdown. (laughs) I don't think I ever had a bra fitting my whole life. That surprises me. I thought Linda would have brought you. No, and I wore a 12C for my whole life and then I did get a bra fitting a bit years ago and she's like, no, you're not a 12C, you're a 10D. And I was like, and then I I put it on and I was like, wow, this fits so well. (laughs) Like I was so surprised. That's super common. In actual fact, probably one of the most common changes we make from women, like we see women come in, you know, thinking they're 12D and we'll put them in a 10 f sometimes an A double G, quite a big difference. So we're almost always, not every time, almost always dropping people down in the back size and putting them up in the cup size. And do you find that fitting women with the right bra can have an impact on confidence as well? I think so, definitely. Obviously, they feel more comfortable and they tend to kind of look better. You know, it defines our shape better and they they feel better about themselves. We see a lot of women coming in seeking minimizer bras. I have a little vendetta against minimizing bras because the truth is if a bra is well fitted, it should kind of minimize us or, or give us a nice shape. Um, whereas we tend to find women out there seeking these bras to give them this flattened shape um, that they just don't need. Mm. Do you? Because my mum's boobs just keep growing. She's... <laughs> Is that going to happen? I mean, it might, yeah. (laughs) Sometimes it works the other way. We never know what people are going to be happy with. But, like, you could be almost certain your boobs are not going to stay the same size throughout your life. They're just not. So, you know, when we see women in store that say, I'm a 12D, always been a 12D, been a 12D since I was 15, kind of, you know, eyes roll a little bit because really that's just super unrealistic. Your shape will definitely change. Does Linda feel comfortable with you sharing that information? <laughs> well, I'll text her. I'll text her now, everyone. Too late. Then... <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump into having our bras fitted and see if we're both wearing the wrong size. Yeah. Here we go. So this measurement we're taking here is sort of telling us what rib cage size we're going for, or what band size, what number. So you're measuring around a thirty-two, which equals about a size ten. Okay. So you were right there, Hannah. Yeah. Next measurement we're going to take is around the bust. So we're going sort of roughly around the nipple line there. And look, you're measuring at about a 36 inch there. So how we determine the cup size is we take 36 inch from Mm -hmm. 32 inch. So that's four. And then we do A, B, C, D. So your rough cup size should be about a 10 D. It's not going to work like that every time. Uh, I can guarantee I've got some bras. We put you in an eight double D. There might be the odd one that's fitting funny that's a a 12C, but your ballpark should be around 10D. Let's see what happens when we get you into some bras. Great. Awesome. I think you might have been onto it. I, well, the 12C was clearly wrong. (laughs) That's that's good. I'm glad. Love that for you. I have to pre-buy all my bras. I reckon Joe might be a bit more dramatic. Me, really? Yeah. Happy for what, me to just, 
Uh, I think the bra I'm wearing right now is a, is a 10C, I'm pretty sure. I reckon you're going to be an 8D. You reckon I'm going to be an 8D? I'm going to put money on you're going to be an 8D. All right, let's see. Yeah. I, you, so you've I'm gone from, 10. she's gone no, from I'm saying before we were off air going, you're a zero double A. <laughs> I actually got quite big boobs. Um, surprisingly big, everyone listening. <laughs> or did her future boyfriend listening? <laughs> I set that up knowing he'd listen to this episode. So Hannah's going to try a couple of, are they both burly bras? This, yeah, the first one is, I'm actually sizing up in this one. So I'm okay. going up to a 10 double D because it fits small in the cup. Mm-hmm. We've got the 10D on hand just in case we need it, but I think the 10 double D is where it's going to be. Great. All right. Off she goes. (laughs) So, Tish, I pretty much exclusively now only wear those Calvin Klein crops. Mm -hmm. Is that bad to wear something that doesn't have an underwire? No, not at all. In fact, a lot of women think they need the underwire when in fact you don't. Underwire is purely in a bra for shape. So it's to round and separate the breast tissue. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily there to lift us. It's not necessarily there to support us as long as the rest of the bra is fitting. Okay. She's ready. Ooh. All right. So first things I'm looking at when I'm assessing a bra on body Mm -hmm. is we want this band around the rib cage to be nice and firm, Mm -hmm. not uncomfortably tight. Okay. Everybody has a little, a different version of what uncomfortably tight is, but because this is where we get our support, we want it to be firm Mm -hmm. and we want it to be firm on the loosest hook. So that's the first set of hooks, which Mm -hmm. you've done there. That means as that bra stretches, you can keep pulling that in. You can keep tightening that because, again, this is the the most important part from a support perspective. These straps, like the shoulder straps, we don't want to rely on these to take the weight of the breast. It's not what they're designed for. They're elastic. They're just there to give us a little bit of stability. So we want them to be firm enough so that they sit in place and not too loose that they wriggle around. But, yeah, that's actually from where I'm standing. That's a nice bra. Pretty good fit. And so we sized up in this one. Mm-hmm. We went straight to a 10 double D because I know. 10 it- double D, did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> Watch out, boys. Oh, <laughs> shall, shall I I'll be it? putting that on my hinge profile. <laughs> Better update the information. <laughs> now, I feel a little bit bad about finishing my sentence, which was because it fits a little small in the cup. But don't, you know, it's still a great still. accolade. Cut that out, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look, that's a good starting point. So mm-hmm. this is how a bra should fit. Can I bring yep. out some other bras? Yeah, to show you? yeah cool. So Joe, how do you feel? Where um, I'm topless. I know. Uh, <laughs> I've been <laughs> I've been studying your breasts, which seems like a new level for us. My, my boobs always look good in bras. I will be honest. They do yeah. actually. You know, yeah. when you were wearing that black top the other day, the kind of bra cropped top. one. Oh, I wear a bra top out in public. Yeah. You know the one, the lacy one? Yeah, Ooh. yes. It's a bodysuit. Nice. It's a bodysuit. It's, it's a bodysuit that looks like negligee. <laughs> All right, let's see how this one goes. Oh, this one might be a bit exposing, Hannah. I don't know if I can look at this one. Pretty sexy. Oh, yeah, you can't see anything. That is nice, Hannah. Really nice. I never wear sexy bras ever. Really? No. Oh, I would have expected more from you. I know. I do have them. Mm. I have these ones with star, uh, sequin stars over the nipples. I wouldn't have expected anything less. <laughs> I uh, wore it to a festival with a, like, see-through top. Oh, of course you did. Yeah. yeah. I did pick up that day. <laughs> <laughs> so really just another option. So we've gotten rid of the moulded cup. Mm-hmm. We've added some delicate lace. It's still a really supportive everyday bra, but feels a little bit more fun. Mm. Mm. 10D. 10D in this one. Okay. 
I nearly grabbed the <laughs> No, it's definitely the right fit. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to bring out something different? No, I think Joe, you're. Yeah, I can go. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's find out what size my boobs are. <laughs> All right, now let's see if my prediction All right. is correct. Okay. Eight double. Right D- what did I yeah, say? Eight D. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to take two measurements here. Mm-hmm. So we'll go under and around the bust here. Mm-hmm. And you're measuring just a little under thirty inches, which is telling me I want to start in a size eight for you. <laughs> Tick. <laughs> and and that makes sense. You're really a size eight frame or size mm-hmm. six to eight, mm-hmm. and that's our bra size should roughly correspond to that. Okay. Doesn't work every time. And you're measuring another four inches, an extra four inches around the cup, so probably around the 8D depending oh on Oh, my God. I should be a bra fitter. I should be a bra fitter. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what, and now what size have you been wearing? A 10C. Yep. Wrong. I knew yeah, it. Wrong. I knew wrong. Yep. You've been wearing a, a, the wrong bra this whole, this whole time. time. So for once, I am the expert yeah. and Joanna is no, the I newbie. Got you to tell me that earlier. I, to- I could have told you that. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to get it on that last one. Oh, she's looking good. <laughs> okay, so the first thing I'm assessing every time is the band around the ribcage. Yep. And that to me is probably only just firm enough. Yep. We want to be able to pull it out about an inch and we can mm. pretty easily pull it out Don't about an inch and a half. You might like <laughs> probably, <laughs> maybe. Um, by definition, you probably are between a six and an eight. Yep. So it'll just depend on the brand. Sixes are almost impossible to find. Yeah, you can yeah. find them. Comfortable to me. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And it's, look, it's certainly not too loose. Just yeah. something to be aware of. Mm-hmm. If you do find yourself in an eight that is fitting loose, it just won't work. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sixes are hard to find. I'm wearing one right now. They do exist. Mm-hmm. Um, just not many brands doing it. Yeah. Look, for me across the cup, there's probably not quite enough coverage here, as in your breast tissue is just going to jump up out of the bra. Mm. Okay for for lounging, but if you're wanting to run up and downstairs or daily living, you might find yourself having to Not going to happen. Yeah. I can stop you right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not running up and downstairs? No. no. I'm a Pilates girl. <laughs> okay. Well, look, you know, it's not terrible, but we could use some extra cup coverage. So eight double D. Eight double D. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's do it. Well, I have to just break it to you. This particular bra doesn't come in an 8DD, but I'm going to bring out something. You are so okay. unique and special. Oh, no, I really <laughs> Who would have thought, Joe, an 8DD? Not me. Wow. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> they are really big now that I'm seeing them in, in IRL. I normally have them out. Like... I'm looking at her face because I'm like, I don't want to look at them direct in the, in the eyes. <laughs> All right. She's got a nude bra because, oh, 6DD. Okay. I mean, you do have a weird body shape. You're really thin with big boobs. <laughs> you know, Victoria's Secret style. So that's interesting here. Totally. I think it is such a structured bra. Like this is pretty much the smallest size they make it in. They go up to a um, double H in this one. Arguably a little bit of overkill. Um, but just to show you, I mean, this is a size six. And again, in this brand, it's actually even arguably a little too roomy. Yeah. So brands won't fit consistently. So this is more just, you know, something to show you, I suppose. Yeah. So Te- you'd say I should be looking for, if I'm going to buy a bra, I should be looking for an 8D. 8D, yep. treat 8D as your go-to size, but it won't work like that every time. Mm-hmm. If this bra was a better cut for you, 
Like it's not the right cut for you. If it was, then the six double D is what would work. But so, yeah, just keep that in mind. Yeah. And for anyone who has a very small bust or a very large bust, what are your favourite brands to recommend? Ooh, good question. Some of our favourites are Panache, Alomi, Freya, Fantasy, Rosa Fea. A lot of them are brands from the UK. Mm-hmm. They really specialise in big busted bras. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly when we see the combination of small frame with a big bust, that's a really common size and shape in the UK. But yeah, unfortunately, we're not seeing the Australian brands kind of play in that HJ K cup category, mm-hmm. which is a pity because boobs are getting bigger. And in a sports capacity, women are getting more active. And yet the Australian brands just aren't really producing product that we um, that we need from a mm. fit perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to come and have a bra fitting, come to She Science and see Tish. Um, you obviously have a range of sizes from very small to very large. So if you struggle with bras, come and visit her. Joe is still standing in her bra. I'm still standing here in my bra <laughs> and these two are looking at me. <laughs> Today's guest joining us is Alicia Yoon. She is a Korean skincare expert and founder of Peach and Lily, which is a leading source and retailer for all things Korean beauty. So obviously that's exactly what we're talking about today. We've had lots of requests for this and I finally found the right person to talk about it. Welcome to the podcast, Alicia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Alicia, firstly, what are the biggest differentiating factors between Korean skincare and every other category of beauty products? Yeah, I would say that, well, first, you know, Because Korean skincare comprises more than 10,000 beauty brands and, of course, a lot of other categories, there's so much variety as well. Although it's hard to generalize, I would say that having studied skincare both in Korea and being a licensed esthetician in New York, the biggest difference that I see is kind of the approach to skincare. So with Korean skincare philosophies, for the most part, it's about long-term results. It's about seeing a change holistically from within. It's about gentle layering steps, a huge focus on hydration, respecting the skin barrier, as well as protecting the skin. And so it's less about, you know, seeing an overnight result, but really achieving that gently over time with results that then you can hold on to for longer. And then of course, I think one big difference is that the Korean beauty industry has a incredible rate of innovation. And really, I think an an industry is as innovative as your consumers are demanding. And in Korea, there's a huge appetite to see constant upgrades and newness to formulas. So that really drives the labs and ingredient suppliers to innovate and push the envelope and introduce new product categories, new ingredients, new solutions to skincare problems. And it's exciting. And I think that's why Korea is really known as this global beauty mecca of innovation as well. Mm, Absolutely. You see trends like, you know, the double cleanse coming into, you know, Western beauty standards now as well, which is becoming a lot more popular, but that's been around for, you know, a long time in K-beauty. Yeah. And that's, you know, a skincare kind of practice that has been practiced for decades. And actually in esthetician school, even in the States, that's the proper way to cleanse skin. Mm. That's something that, you know, isn't just like a Korean thing. That's actually, you know, a great way to ensure that your skin is being cleansed down to your pores with oil-based impurities removed without stripping your skin dry. Mm. 
So we'd love to touch on all the steps involved in a K-beauty skincare routine. Um, This might take a while. Can you talk us through them? Yeah. So what's interesting is in Korea, I would say that everyone has a different routine, right? There's no like standard prescriptive way of approaching it. So this is a general guideline of how, you know, the Korean skincare philosophy might think about all the different elements you need for your skin. And depending on the products you use, depending on your skin circumstance and your skin type, you might combine some of those steps into two products. You might skip it, but I'll kind of go through all the different pillars that the skincare philosophy in Korea is kind of built around. So first, cleansing. Again, it's all about not doing harm to your skin. But at the same time, you know, when we are not cleansing our skin properly down to our pores and we're leaving gunk in our pores and impurities in our pores, that baggage will end up wreaking havoc over time. And so when I interview dermatologists in Korea, it's really fascinating to hear them say, you get your cleansing step right. And they have seen 50% of skincare issues like resolve themselves. So that's how important that cleansing step is. So first, starting with the oil-based cleanser. In the morning, you may not want to use an oil-based cleanser, but if you have like an oil-based night cream on, or if you have oily skin, you know, it's a good idea to still use a light amount of an oil-based cleanser to get those oil-based impurities off the skin. Because as we all know, like attracts like, and if we're only using a water-based impurity, it's actually further pushing impurities into our pores. So in, in the evening, always, always, I will double cleanse religiously because I am using products that have oils in it. I have SPF on, I might have makeup on and, you know, really giving my skin that clean sleep, super important. And then afterwards, following up with a water-based cleanser. The reason being, we also want to remove water-based impurities like dirt, sweat, grime, and using a low pH gentle cleanser is, you know, going to give you that sparkly clean skin without stripping your skin dry. And then the second step is all about prepping the skin. So prepping the skin can look, you know, you can use a toner and then an essence, or you can combine them. But basically toners are all about helping to adjust the skin's pH level and really creating that ecosystem where your skin's pH is like happy again. Um, and our skin pH likes to be between a 4.5, 6.5. People say 5.5 just for ease, but it kind of depends on the person. Toners in Korea, they're not astringent alcohol type toners that strip your skin dry. They are kickstarting hydration to your routine, but really focus on the pH. Then you go in with an essence and essences are if a toner's main job is to balance your skin's pH and essence's main job is to hydrate skin. In my 20 years doing facials, I have yet to meet somebody where I walk in and I see that their skin is too hydrated. It is so hard to keep your skin with enough moisture in the inner deeper layers because of inside AC, indoor heating, environmental stressors. So getting humectants into your skin so that moisture can be bound to it is super important because hydration is one of the pillars of foundational skin health. Without it, it's like having a bucket with a hole in it and you're filling it with your next steps and it's all leaking out because your skin isn't hydrated. Now, what's really exciting is that toners and essences kind of come fancy these days. So they can come combined where an essence could also balance skin's pH. And on top of hydrating, it can have secondary benefits like 
it also has brightening ingredients and firming ingredients. So when people ask, do I have to use a toner and an essence? It really depends on the product. And also, you know, if I use an essence and it's like really nourishing and there's all these brightening ingredients in there, do I need to use a serum? It really depends on the essence and what you're trying to achieve for your skin. Then you go into your treatment categories. So you have your serums and your ampules, and they're just more concentrated treatments, ampules being even more concentrated than serums. And that's all super personalized. So maybe there's one serum that you really love that targets all of your skincare needs. Maybe you like cocktailing three of them. Maybe you like an ampule for some days and, and some not. So this is where I see it getting very, very personalized based on your skin. And then, you know, you go in with your eye cream. A lot of people ask, do I have to use a separate eye cream? Again, the answer there is yes or no. It really depends on your preference. You know, eye creams are tested specifically for the eye area typically, but also it's not that they have some ingredient in it that only eye creams have. So if your moisturizer works great for your eye area and it doesn't cause you milia and you like it, that's also okay. Um, and then you go in with your moisturizer to seal everything in. And of course, the moisturizer is all about, you know, that's where you really think about how much lipid support you have on your skin naturally. So if you have, you know, a lot of sebum production versus very little, how occlusive that moisturizer is and how much oils are in it is where you go from like, I really prefer a water gel to like a very, very heavier cream. And then after that, if you would like, you can do your facial oils. Sometimes facial oils can come before your moisturizer. It kind of depends on the formula, but you know, if you would like more lipid support, or even if you have oily skin, some facial oils help balance skin. So you might do that afterwards. And then the weekly product. So this is fun because you have all manners of masks. So you can exfoliate an exfoliator. Sometimes some exfoliators are for daily use and some are for weekly use. So you know, exfoliating as directed according to your product. That is, again, I think a very important and tricky category because you don't want to underdo it and you really want to boost that cell turnover, but you also don't want to overdo it. And, you know, really understanding and analyzing your skin so you know if you're overdoing it is important because over time it can really disrupt your skin barrier and then you're just playing catch up with your skin. And then, of course, you have sheet masks and overnight sleeping masks and wash off masks. And, you know, as long as like, for example, with sheet masks, as long as it's hydrating, not irritating, like fragrance free, typically, because if you want to use it very often and alcohol free, because it is sitting on your face for a long time. I have known people who have sheet masks every single day for like 10 years. So there's obviously a lot involved in K-beauty. And I think people often struggle to get their head around like all the different, you know, concepts. But I think what we're hearing here is a focus on hydration mm. and barrier support. Do you think that's what has kind of formed the term glass skin? Because I find that that hydration and the a really healthy barrier does give you that really plump, bouncy effect. Do you think that's what where that's come from? It's so funny you ask that because glass skin is a movement that Peach and Lily has pioneered. So in 2018, we launched an iconic product called the Glass Skin Serum. And at that time, glass skin was not really a term that people were using. So you um, made it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, so in Korea, I had heard the Korean version of glass skin, Yudi people, right. which literally means glass skin. 
a couple times somewhere. And I was like, that is the look that I'm talking about when you have healthy skin. Mm -hmm. It's not a superficial highlighted look. What it is, is that whether you have cystic acne, eczema, which I struggle with, whatever the case is, healthy skin is for all. So you can have acne, but when you are taking care of your skin and it's hydrated and healthy from within, not only are you going to help your skin environment and also help to combat acne from within over time, and of course there's other elements you have to think about, but there is this vibrancy, this life from within that's there versus imagine somebody with super clear skin, no acne, but their skin is just not at its healthiest. And so there isn't that vibrancy. They look a little tired. The skin is very lackluster. And so glass skin is really for all. And what we mean by glass skin is it's your skin at its healthiest. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter. And I feel so passionate about this because I struggled my whole life with eczema. And, you know, I never thought I could really transform my skin. And that's why I ended up going to esthetician school to figure out how not to have visible rashes and bleeding skin and painful skin. And with the right ingredients, the right approach, the right technique, you know, I've been able to transform how my skin looks and feels. And it's really, you know, the right ingredients and the right kind of, you know, things that you do for it can go a long way, even for somebody like me with very bad skin genes. And so this glass skin movement is all about encouraging people to say, it doesn't matter where you are in your skin journey. It doesn't matter what your skin type is or your skin concerns or whatever you might have done for 20 years with your skin where you're like, oh, I didn't take care of it. It's okay. You can always start your healthy skin transformation, just like working out. You know, one day we can decide I'm out of shape, but I'm going to really be consistent and work out and you can get that help. And so that's what we mean by glass skin. And it's funny because in 2018, when we launched this product, I was nervous that people wouldn't understand what we were trying to say. And they thought, I was thinking maybe they would think your face turns into something fragile like glass. Mm. And then the term really resonated and kind of took on its own life form where I feel like it's defined in a lot of different ways now. And people have different thoughts when they hear the word, but we always come back to kind of encouraging and saying glass skin simply means your healthiest skin Mm -hmm. and your healthiest skin is going to look different than someone else's version of their healthiest skin. And also it's a journey. So your healthiest skin will evolve as you continue to work on it. And so glass skin is for all and it's a luminosity and healthiness that comes from within. Mm -hmm. So K-Beauty is known for including some unusual ingredients that we commonly don't see in other skincare categories. What are the most innovative ingredients you've come across? So many. I would say that what I really love, well, there's one big ingredient category that I really appreciate, and that's in the herbal space. So there's, you know, different ways of studying ingredients, right? So there's Western double-blinded clinical studies. So vitamin C, retinol have like a lot of studies like this. And then there's the world of Asian kind of medicinal practices that have been time-tested and practiced and celebrated over centuries. And a really fun fact is like, for example, for the traditional Chinese medicine, um, as well as Korean medicine, you weren't really able to do autopsies. Like that was like not something you could do. And so in order to study the effects on people's health, it 
these long studies over time to understand how many, many people are reacting and how health tracks over time. So there's this very rich, robust uh, practice. It's like a medicinal practice where, you know, you see the benefits of various herbs for health. And then a lot of these practices not only have these herbs for ingesting and, you know, what happens when you actually like drink it or eat it or what have you, but also what happens when you apply it topically. And sometimes, you know, they weren't necessarily in like skincare products, but in like topical paste that are being created by these medicinal practices. Another ingredient that I love is hydrolyzed sponges. So these are these little microspicules that when you put it on your face, it feels like you're microneedling your face, but it's just like in a serum. So you can't see it. It looks just like a serum. And all of a sudden you apply it and you feel the tingling. And depending on your skin type, for some products, you might feel it like in 30 seconds and other people are like, oh, I didn't feel anything yet. Two minutes later, they feel it. And it really helps just to have the whole formula absorb deeper into skin. So that's an ingredient that I find very fascinating. I also really love a lot of like marine ingredients, like uh, seaweed and algae based ingredients. That is, you know, definitely something that like Korean beauty has leaned on for some time. Snail mucin is a classic that I personally love because it naturally has hyaluronic acid and glycolic acid properties in one natural ingredient that is an irritating to skin that doesn't sit heavy on skin. It's great for all skin types. It's known to also have natural antibacterial properties as well as anti-inflammatory properties and even, you know, reviving properties. And so it's so common in Korea that it's sometimes in the formula, it's not even really called out, you know, because that may not be the star, even though it's such a great ingredient. It's just a common ingredient. Like we might see peptides in a formula and that might not be called out, even though it's there because it's just a commonly known and accepted an embrace and celebrated ingredient. In Korea, you can't really like test on animals. Like there's a lot of like animal rights protections and so forth. So snails are not harmed. So yeah, I would say, and then of course, there's just like so many innovative product categories and formats as well. Different types of masks, different types of serums, different texture breaks and clean beauty has been huge in Korea long before I saw big conversations about it in the States. And, you know, they don't use the term clean beauty, but it's all about um, how safe and gentle is it for skin and, you know, excluding ingredients that might raise your eyebrows, even if some consider it generally safe. If you can formulate without it, why not, right? So, you know, that's been a conversation and a, a movement in Korea for decades now. So, yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot that I love. And what do you think will be the biggest focuses or trends for K-beauty over the next 12 months? Are there big things coming up in the category? Yeah, I would say one of the most exciting things I'm seeing is indie brands that are working closely with like dermatology offices. So dermatologists who might zoom in on like one particular aspect of skin health and then over deliver on you know, creating products around that. So for example, there's a product called the Miwaji Serum Veil. And this dermatologist believes so heavily in hydration. And so it's a hyaluronic acid serum. 
So that's how, one way you can use it. But then you apply a few layers of it and it creates this veil of hyaluronic acid on the skin. So after you do a few layers, you don't do moisturizer. It becomes a sleeping mask and you go to sleep with it on and it looks a little glossy, but don't remove it. It won't come off on your pillows or anything. And you wash it off in the morning and it is the most phenomenal instant result. Your skin is visibly plumped up with hydration and you're dewy like all day. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Innovations like that coming out of these, you know, expert offices are, you know, I'm seeing really big buzz about that. I would say over the last kind of 12 months and continuing into this year. And so if someone is new to K-beauty and wants to start a routine, where do you recommend they start? I would say definitely have a great cleansing routine. And then whether it's with an essence or a toner, prep your skin. So cleanse, double cleanse, prep, maybe just have like a two-in-one so it's not too much. Have a great everyday serum that has protection and hydration and anti-inflammatories because there's just so many things that trigger inflammation around us. So a hydrating serum that might have some, you know, rich antioxidants, some soothing ingredients, and then a great moisturizer. And then I would say because hydration is so hard, maybe grab a couple sheet masks and just whenever your skin is looking a little off, chances are it's not hydrated enough or it's not nourished enough. So just have that on. Um, and I, I love sheet masks because it's so easy. You don't have to wash it off, you know, remove, pat it in, apply your moisturizer. And, you know, whenever your skin is feeling a little off, you know, that usually can help pretty quickly. So that would be a good starting point. And then of course, in the mornings, you know, SPF is so important. The most important. We talk about SPF constantly on this podcast. This has been a really interesting chat because I've never really um, delved into K-beauty too much, but I feel like a lot of what I do in my routine is very much around hydration and barrier support. Well, if you're wanting to get started on your K-beauty journey, go and check out our category. You can head over to Peach and Lily or you can find Alicia on Instagram if you want to uh, stalk her and find out what she's using. Thanks so much for joining us today, Alicia. All right, product we didn't know we needed, Hannah. So I'm gonna. It's gonna be a bit of a science lesson today mm. because I had to write an article on the new Notta Collection range. So basically, the Notta Collection range uses the scent, not a perfume. And as you all know, not a perfume is my signature scent, and now mine, and now yours. <laughs> yes, definitely yours. <laughs> uh, well, really, but really, you are your signature scent because it just brings out. Yes. I just imagine it bringing out your natural pheromones. Yes. So basically they've got a shower gel, a candle, a room spray. They've got a hand cream. Anyway, divine worth every penny. I don't know how much they all are, but um, let me have a quick look. Shower gel, 39 worth it. Candle, 79 worth it. Mm, yeah. No <laughs> room spray, asked. 79 <laughs> worth it. Anyway, the room, the shower gel is 39, so you can get a feel for the fragrance, I guess. It is, mm. you know how I feel about this fragrance. But I really wanted to talk about, is it pronounced Cetalox? Yes. Yeah, okay. So basically, to give you a bit of a science lesson, not a perfume, it's a sweet, musky amber scent, and it's made up of one single note. And the molecule is Cetalox, but it's also known as Ambroxan. 
I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm pronouncing any of this correctly, but I don't care. <laughs> but though those molecules is a synthetic form of a naturally occurring substance called ambergris, ambergris, which is grey amber. So can you guess where they find ambergris? I'm going to say uh, the anus of a squirrel. <laughs> Was I close? close. Yeah. I know it's the anus of something, isn't it? So it is formed from a secretion of the bile duct in the intestines of sperm whales. Yeah, exactly. I knew it. So (laughs) basically the substance, this ambergris, can be found floating in the sea or washed up on beaches. Uh So one scientist called it floating gold. So they don't get it directly from the animal. They get it from the ocean. It, it washes up on the beaches. Okay, so no whales need to be killed. Okay, cool. No, but it's still illegal. That's oh. why they made the synthetic version. In terms of floating gold, because it was a 1.57 kilo chunk um, was found in the UK in 2016. Guess how much a 1.57 kilo chunk was worth? Please don't say a million dollars because that's I was going to say a million dollars. No, $90,000. Oh. That's oh. still a lot. Still, that's a lot, yeah. Sorry, it was like a hi- – it was highly coveted. I don't know. I don't know. How did they find that scent? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Which- Who was smelling a whale's anus and thought, oh, Which delicious. person <laughs> – found sperm whale like vomit on a beach and said, oh, that doesn't smell nice in fragrance. <laughs> Who? Well, my date liked it. <laughs> you should you should tell him that story before you get intimate. I think that's a real aphrodisiac. So now they make it synthetically for Yes, fragrances. so okay. scientists make it synthetic. They, they created it in a lab and that's mm-hmm. how Cetalox was born. Mm. So I've got an article that goes into a bit more detail, so maybe we can link that in the episode. Notes yeah, keen, sure. Keen to yeah. learn more about the shower gel. I don't need to mm. think I need to say anything else. I think I sold it. On to you, Joe. Nailed it. Um, <laughs> Nailed my, it. my product I didn't know I needed today is the Bobby Brown Vitamin Enriched Eye Base. Now, this is not mm. from a whale's anus, but it does have <laughs> some really nice ingredients. <laughs> Damn, well, what the, who would want to use that? So it's a, a really nourishing eye cream, but I use it as skin prep for under makeup. So what I had been finding was that my under eyes are a little bit dehydrated, which we noticed when we did those um, skin scans. My Mm. under eyes tend to be a little bit more dehydrated. So when I put concealer straight over the top, it often creases under my eyes. So I decided to start using this. I think it's relatively new. She's very bougie. She's $84, but honestly, it would take you five years to get through it. It'll probably expire before you can get through it. It's really hydrating, but it's not thick. I still probably wouldn't say go ham on it if you're prone to milia. I'm not prone Mm. to milia, so I find it you know, really nice and nourishing and it really hydrates my under eye. But it's got some pretty good ingredients in there. It's got like shea butter. It's got heaps of different B vitamins. It's got squalane, vitamin E, hyaluronic acid, It's got heaps of natural extracts like algae extract, carrot root extract. I've never even heard of that. But heaps of different ingredients that would be really good for the under eye, caffeine as well. So there's heaps of nice nourishing ingredients in there. And I find that it helps my concealer to last longer, but also not to crease. And I use it purely as a makeup prep step. I don't use it as a skincare eye cream. I've got other Same. Yeah. Mine's on my makeup trolley. Same. Yeah. Does everyone else yep. listening have a makeup trolley or or just is that just, is us? It just us? No, no, just us. Also, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been a really good episode, Henna. Thank you for joining me oh, today. Thanks, Jolene. <laughs> 
thanks everyone for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. It helps other people to discover us. And also we really want to know what you thought about this podcast. So if you can leave us a review, that would be much appreciated. Bye.